Hi, and welcome to On the Brink, a fresh lens to take you and your business to new heights. I'm Andy Simon, and as you know, I'm your host and your guide. And I love to find people to bring to you who can help you see, feel, and think in new ways so that you can get off the brink. I want you to soar. But sometimes we don't really know how to do that. We want to. We may even visualize what life could be like if I wasn't so, and fill in that blank. But how do I do that? So today, Sarah Wilson, who I love, brought me Johanna Hardis, who is a beautiful woman who you're going to love listening to. Let me tell you about her, and then she'll tell you about her own journey, because she has a new book. And we'll talk a little bit about the book today. It's called Just Do Nothing, A Paradoxical Guide to Getting Out of Your Own Way. Actually, there's no own at the end there, but you can insert it if you want. So here's Joanne's background. She's a licensed independent social worker, a therapist, and an executive coach in Ohio. And that's her main business. She's committed to helping people overcome complex challenges. And I know some people who are going to watch this podcast are going to say, that's me. I got it. It's okay. So they can lead high quality lives. Their expertise lies in cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, which you may know about, and in exposure and response prevention for adults, children, and adolescents. You can find her on LinkedIn and learn a lot more about her. A couple of things I just want to highlight. She really is focused on helping people in the face of anxiety-related issues and obsessive-compulsive disorders. So this is a person you really might like to know more about if that's something that is disturbing you. And she can identify what's holding you back and give them strategies to help move them forward. And today, the things that I think we're going to talk about as we talk about do nothing is called empower you to understand, break through the barriers that are holding you back, create your own sliding scale of distress and learn to let feelings be instead of letting them go. We'll come back to these, and I'm sure Joanne's going to tell you a whole lot more about them. Please, thank you for joining us. Thank you for that lovely introduction, Andy. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I appreciate having you. Our audience will as well. I'm curious about both your background, your journey, the origin of this great book, and then what our listeners will learn from our podcast today about this complex world that we're in and the anxiety that often arises and life is too short. We have to find better ways to live it. Your story. Yeah. Yes. So how I got so how I got here, I imagine. Um well, I never intended to be a therapist. It was sort of it was sort of like um I was a I sort of just happened to get here. I went to college um pre-med. I don't and not really even wanting to be pre-med. I won a fellowship in high school to do independent study and had a real interest in working with people with HIV. So I was in high school in the 80s when HIV was really was emerging on the scene. Um, and I had, I don't know how it emerged, but I had an interest in working with people with HIV and AIDS. So a friend and I won an independent fellowship to do independent study and worked with physicians at a local hospital working with people with HIV and AIDS. So went to college, went to Cornell and had this 
real interest in, in having a career in HIV and AIDS and was told at Cornell, like, oh, then you're pre-med. <laughs> like, and I was not a very savvy student despite being at Cornell. So it was in a pre-med track and realized quickly that was not for me <laughs> and, and went to my advisor who said, what do you like? And I said, I really like people. And so the advisor said, okay, well, maybe you're a social worker. And not being someone who at that time it was very um, savvy again, I said, okay, well, let me give this a shot. Let me give this social work thing a shot. And I got to do an internship. So I went to Costa Rica and lived and worked. And I thought that was incredibly cool. So kind of found my way into social work, um, never thinking about other career paths like psychology or counseling. Um, but really found my way into social work by happenstance. I started my career in HIV. I spent about a decade in HIV, still hold it very near and dear to my heart, but really fell in love with working with people and have a real interest in, in how, what makes people click and, and, and what makes people click and the brain and helping people move forward. And, and it just, you know, so my career started in HIV and AIDS and I got trained in cognitive behavioral therapy and have really always had this interest in helping people who are in very complicated situations, you know, working collaboratively to move them forward. And so I have been able to partner with people throughout my career, and I'm in my 27th year as a cognitive behavioral therapist, it, it, do that and, and really work with people in different areas of life. So I've been with people with HIV AIDS, I've worked in an eating disorder treatment center, which is unbelievably challenging. Um, I've worked with young entrepreneurs. I've worked with, I have volunteered during the pandemic with therapy aid, just giving, volunteering with frontline workers to now having my own private practice where I have really committed to working with people with anxiety disorders because it just makes so much sense to me, anxiety disorders and obsessive compulsive disorder. And there is an abundance. There's an epidemic of this. Yes. And correct. so it's not as if you're looking at a needle in a haystack. It is the haystack. It is. It is. And, you know, we know from data that that parents who struggle, it has an impact on children. So it is really, I find it incredibly rewarding. I now, I stopped seeing kids and adolescents during COVID because I had to move virtually. And so now my practice is adults, but I do work a lot with parents to change their behavior because we know that that can help children. Um, but it is, I mean, really, we need a different way in which to help people that are struggling. And before we get into the book, which I'd like to know more about why you wrote it and what sure. the listener can benefit, but give us some context here for the audience about, you know, what is, where does anxiety come from? And, and, and you know, the context, because what you're talking about is that it becomes contagious. What's going on with the parents gets picked up as normal by the children who then spread it among other children who think we should all be anxious. 
instead of we should all be happy. But give, give yeah, I'm, I'm making that up. You help me help sure. them. What, where is, where is it, what is it like and, and how can we better identify it? Sure. And there is a difference between an anxiety disorder and anxiety, which is just a normal, a normal state, a nor, you know, a normal reaction, for instance, to fear. Mm -hmm. So it exists on a continuum. So if we take, you know, let's walk it back a little bit to the difference between, for instance, fear and worry, or because oftentimes we confuse fear and worry. Fear is a response to a threat. Yep. So someone cuts you off on the highway and you get that is fear. You know, you, you get that flood of adrenaline and, you know, your whole body, you get the whoosh, the flood of adrenaline. That's fear. It is a response to a biological, to a threat, an external threat. Now, if you start, if you get the, the, oh my gosh, well, what if that happens again? What if I, what if someone cuts me off again? And what if that car is too close? And oh my gosh. And what if I, I need to go really slowly? That cognitive process to fear is what we call worry. Good. Great distinction. And, right. And if you're still feeling the physical sensations, we would say, I am feeling anxious. Gotcha. This is a perfect. I know exactly who's listening today. And that is exactly what they have gone through. And an, an initial fear of something that has now turned into anticipatory worry about it. Right. And yes. it makes them anxious and unable to make good decisions. Yes. Now, and we may say that, you know, perhaps that ride, you're, you may feel anxious. But if that worry or that anxiety persists and the person, every single time they get in the car or they think about getting in the car, they are worrying and they're feeling anxious and it is starting to impair, you know, impair and take, you know, it could impair their life because every time they're thinking about it, they are worrying. Then we are starting to cross the line. And we may say that they, you know, it could be crossing over if it happens for long enough. Yeah, it could cross over into an anxiety disorder, or we may say it's excessive worrying. Yeah, those are great words because it's difficult to know whether the situation requires a suitable amount of fear reaction or anticipating it. You're worrying about something that may never ever happen again and impairs your life. You're smiling at me, but I, yes, I, I, I really understand that from some situations where watching people are so anxious that they can't take a step forward. They get locked in their own fear. Exactly. And the, you know, what get, you have nailed it, Andy. And the, what people don't recognize, well, and of course, and they wouldn't because they don't know this stuff, is that the more time someone spends worrying about it, it is training their brain that this is important and that this is dangerous and that this fear that they have is actually relevant. 
yep. in the absence of any data that says it's relevant. So right. the brain gets trained and then the brain is going to say, oh my gosh, we need to be extra vigilant. Yep. And we can't, they can't even answer the persons that I'm thinking about, about what will happen. You know, what is the danger? And they can't articulate what the crisis will be because it has nothing to do with the facts of what's going on. It has to do with their worry factor. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. And so learning how to stay out of the story, the worry story, because there, there are, there's nothing in their direct experience that speaks to that this is, that this is happening right now. Yep. That's hard. It is, but it's also very interesting about the connection between something that might have happened as opposed to not knowing why I'm here. And I have a hunch that sort of leads to our discussion about what you do and what this book is intended to do. Because once you see that progress and the dead end, the only way you can revert people back to seeing the world in a positive way is to back it up somehow and rethink it somehow or restructure it somehow. Help me help them. Sure. Unfortunately, the brain can't unlearn. Yes. So the brain cannot unlearn that you had that frightening experience. But what we can do is we can create new learning. Yes. And so that's what the person needs to focus on is that in this direct moment in that this present moment when their brain wants to go to the worry story that is when they need to learn the skills to say nope whatever it is that I want to go into the worry story I need to learn how to let that story be it's really doing nothing with those thoughts letting the thoughts be Letting my feelings be there. I may feel worried, but I'm not going to engage in them. Letting that stuff be. And the focus is on the action that's important. So doing, getting in the car and driving and not paying the attention to, oh my gosh, well, what if this happens? What if that, what if I get cut off? What if someone drives too close? It's, it's doing the, we know that the, the money is in the behavior. Yep. And letting the other stuff be. Yep. Um, So I am curious about the book because I love this idea of when these things arrive, you've got to learn new thinking process and new behaviors. So you become consciously incompetent about how to change what I'm thinking and feeling. So I begin to do it and practice it so I can become good at it. Right. It's like a game. Yeah, I, we don't think of it as a game, but it is renew habits. Correct. And it's paradoxical. So it is, so the title, you know, the catchy title is Just Do Nothing. But then the subtitle, which is the paradoxical guide for getting out of your way, the paradox is that, and I suspect people that listen to you can relate, people are used to doing more. Yep. And when people are feeling a lot and feeling more, they're used to doing more to get rid of it. So they think more, they ruminate more, they worry more. Yes. Yep. And and they write long, 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 long 
things about it that you can't figure out what it's all about, right? Yes, yes. Well, exactly. And so it's the doing more to try to get rid of it that makes the worry and the fear stronger. So what we want to do is learn how to do to to learn how to get the skills to do less with how we're feeling and the thoughts that are so troublesome. And so that's what the book helps people learn the skills to practice to in very in very uh, you know it's very small ways that build on each other to do that and then they do it in gradually more stressful situations so johanna talk to us about where this book this is your first book this is my first book which is always exciting but it's also hard yeah, I, I wrote my first book. It took me four years. My second book, only two. My last one, a year. I mean, we begin to figure out how to write a book and why it's important. But this is an important book. Where did the idea come from and how did it develop? It was interesting. So I never, people have always suggested I write a book. And I always said I'd never had anything to write a book about. So I didn't really have an intention. And then I had been doing workshops um, with a colleague that I met that I met who also is interested in anxiety work. And we had been doing them on helping people change their relationship with distress and discomfort. So I had been working professionally in this space in addition to my practice. And then a year ago, I had a curveball in my own life. I was dating someone, got ghosted and had a, uh, it was like, it was my own personal explosion of distress. Wow. And it was someone I'm, I've been divorced 10 years, but and it was someone that I really thought that, I, you know, could go someplace and was ghosted out of nowhere. And I had to, you know, really work what I had been talking about in a way that I hadn't in a, in a, in a long time. And so it was a confluence of professional interest and then personal experience. And from that, I, and, and the ghosting story is literally the first page of the book. Um, it, the book came of that intersection and I had a fire in my belly and it took me less than a year to write the book. Wow. Yes. Exciting. Well, but you're, you're, it was there both to cleanse yourself Right. I mean, writing is a great way to take the mind and what it's thinking about and push it out. All the things that you're talking about to learn new ways to build a new story. Yes. Yes. And what's interesting is my work is focused on anxiety in in my professional life. But what I talk about is distress, because what what under the umbrella of distress is anxiety, is stress, is shame, is embarrassment, is boredom. All these feelings that people really don't like to feel. Yes, And so it broadens the umbrella for people because what trips people up, whether it's, you know, what people, you know, what gets in people's way, whether it's, not going to the gym, overeating, um, not asking for a raise, it may not always be anxiety. Mm -hmm. 
It may be shame. It may be embarrassment. It may be boredom. And so people need a process for all of the, uh, for all of those feelings. And now a word from our sponsors, Simon Associates Management Consultants. That's us. And we're here to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. Whether you are an organization that's stuck or stalled or an individual in that organization who's looking to rethink their own life's journey, Simon Associates has designed programs and processes to help you do just that. Our first book, On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights, told the stories of seven clients who were stuck or stalled and a little anthropology helped them see things through a fresh lens, reignite their growth, and soar again. My new book that came out in January 2021 is called Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. It's all about how 11 women, including myself, were able to see past the hurdles, the glass ceilings, and the brick walls and become the best that they could be. They heard things like women aren't lawyers and women can't lead and women aren't in geosciences. And they said, of course we are. And they really pushed through and did it with such ease that they want other women to see what's possible. At the end of the book, I provide a bit of a how-to process for you. If you're on the brink of rethinking your own life's journey, it's time to pause, step back, and ask yourself, where am I going? What's my passion and my purpose? And am I there or can I get there? Send us your emails to info at andysimon.com and we'll get right back to you to see how we can help. On andysimon.com are some free chapters for both books. And you can also join our newsletter and our Facebook group, Rethink with Andy Simon. We are bringing together women to help other women do what they can't do by themselves, very often to see what's possible and become the best that they can be. Come join us. And now back to our podcast. Uh-huh. And and you just said the word so well, because we decide with the heart and how things feel. Then the brain gets engaged. Uh, and And I also always preach that we live the story in our mind. And that story may... It's, it's an illusion of what your reality is, and you live it. Um, and then something like your situation arises, and now you got to rewrite that story to give it a positive experiential for you so you can wake up every morning and say, hey, this is a good day, as opposed to, oh, crud, um, <laughs> do I have to get out of bed? But that's real important. So talk to us about the book itself, um, and then the kinds of things about the solution, just do nothing. Sure. So the book is structured in two parts. The first part is really front-loaded with education to help people understand for why change is hard. Because I wrote the book for people, because I'm assuming that people who pick this up have tried to change, they're feeling stuck, they may have tried lots of things before, and and for many people, they're coming in with a perception that you know, is they may be skeptical. They may think their perception may be that they can't change. So I want people to understand, and this is all evidence based work. So it is not, this is just Joanna's thoughts about life. It's all evidence-based. Why change is hard, why, you know, uh, how we need to think about the thoughts in our head, you know, facts about feelings that are helpful for people, why we shouldn't take them so seriously that they only last 
past 90 seconds that um and in those first the first part everything has exercises so at the end of every every chapter there are exercises to practice so you can read the book any number of ways you can do each chapter and then do the exercises you can read the whole book through and then go back through and do the exercises. The second part of the book is everything that could go wrong as you set about to make a change in your life, what could go wrong and how to course correct. (laughs) So the first part is really my goal is to help people change their relationship with distress and discomfort. Mm -hmm. So it, 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 so it's really explaining why, you know, why we need a new way, why things that you have may have tried don't necessarily work. And then I lay out how we're going to do it differently. So how, instead of trying to get rid of fe- feelings that we don't like, we're going to allow them. And then, and we're going to learn to do nothing with them. And we're going to focus on behavior that is meaningful to us. And how we're going to create a scale, break down what you want to change into little baby parts. And how, when you start to feel the discomfort, you know how to move through it. And you'll have exercises to practice going from something with very low discomfort with a process to move through higher discomfort. And then in this in the second half, as I said, it's everything that could go wrong, including that when something gets hard and you feel like you failed, how to reframe your relationship with setbacks. I love this. You have no idea how timely this is for different people in my life who have gone through something traumatic or that they think is traumatic. Uh, or is anticipating something traumatic. It's so interesting to listen to the categories in my mind of the folks who you are describing without describing them as types. Ah, yes. Interesting. It is. One is a young woman at a university that had um, somebody come in and shoot a professor. Oh, gosh. Yes. And when you talk about the distress, the fear, the worry, and how do parents manage that Mm -hmm. um, in a way which don't deny that there's anxiety or anxiousness or uh, concern to the point where the young woman said, I can't even take a walk without feeling unsafe. Mm -hmm. And that that is that car story where I'm not going to get in the car to drive because somebody almost hit me. Right. And that that becomes one kind of situation. Um, And and another situation um, that I know of where the the act of doing something is going to be potentially dangerous. And and so I'm not going to. Well, but maybe you'll miss a whole opportunity because it could be dangerous. Yes. And, And so and so there's. Um, and, and then there's the disappointment one. But I think that what you're describing is exactly what we know when we work. I mean, I, I have positioned myself as a corporate anthropologist who helps companies change. And for my listeners, I always preach that change is pain. Because once you've got a story in your mind, that's the way you live. 
And you don't realize that these other things could change that story. Or if you want to change what you're doing, you're going to have to change the story. There is no reality. There's only this mythical story in your mind. And if it's not doing good things for you, your book means sets out a path to change it. Am I correct? Oh my gosh, Andy, what you're talking about is, a, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, you and I have a lot in common. And we yes. should more. Yes, because in, in the, my field, and we talk about what distress intolerance is. And distress intolerance is someone's perception that they can't handle we call it negative internal states. So I can't handle feeling so, I can't handle feeling anxious about taking a walk. So I'm going to stay home. So yes. it's getting locked into the story and then avoiding. Yes. And that becomes my view of the world as if it's real, not imagined. But everything's imagined. And so if I'm going to get past that and trust, I'm going to have to figure out how to take a step outside and begin to break the resistance to my fear and worry. Yes, yes exactly. Oh. And that's what I'm talking about. Exactly. And we go about it because we have to get the behavior change. It takes much too long to go after changing thinking. We change thinking by changing behavior. Well, I love it because that's just what I preach. Because yes. for an organization to change, you can't do your strategy and be abstract. You have to change the behaviors, the habits, so that things actionable. And then the brain comes and justifies it. Tells them yes. to do better, right? We're saying the same thing, but from diff in different, we're languaging it differently. Yes. yes. But it is so exciting. Um, it, it is now this has come out of your work, but it isn't your work. So in some ways you want to reach beyond the folks in Ohio that you are therapying. Yeah. So, yes. Know, how do you do some online seminars, workshops, or things that people could come to you for? Uh so my colleague and I are, we were doing online seminars, workshops, and we're retooling it now. Um, we are retooling it and we're going to be doing a course, interestingly, for anxious parents. Oh, great. Yes. And do they have to be just in Ohio or could they be? No, it can be anybody. It can, it, it, when we do these, it can be for anybody, but we are focusing on parents because right now there is so much nationally about parents that are anxious and are having a really hard time tolerating not only their children's distress, and so it, that makes it really hard for parents to parent the way they know they want to be parenting or need to be parenting, and parents have a really hard time tolerating their own distress, Yes, so they give in to their kids, or they're constantly nagging, or they're doing the work for their kids, and they're not allowing their kids the independence and the autonomy that we know kids need. This is so powerful because it is going to create a different world 
for the generation that's coming, and I'll blame it on the pandemic for the moment, but it is a time of transformation without clarity about how do I, on the one hand, cope with my anxiousness or my distress, my fear, and then also make sure that the next generation grows up strong, happy, and able to solve complex problems with creative thinking. All the things that kids learn by playing outside on the street together and making a game together, right? Yes. Yes. So that's in the works. We're in the we're in the final stages of putting the course together. And um, who knows? I mean, I may develop a course from the book. I have to see the it's only been out a month. So I think if there's interest, I may put something together. I, I think that just listening to you and a desire, you know, one on one therapy is one on one. But you have a mission that I think is transformational for our culture and society that's far bigger than that, if I hear you, right? I mean, you want to take the next generation of parents and kids and make them happy because it isn't that the world's bad. It's that they see it that way. You know, that 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 letting a child walk to school is not going to be, they're not going to get kidnapped. Um, they might, but they're not. Um, and the fear, I mean, I drove my bike to the school growing up. And I wandered outside and we played kickball or stickball or whatever on the street. Nobody, we didn't have organized stuff to the degree they have now. And so we were free to be kids. And and I, some of my neighbors, we still stay in touch. We remember the joy of pulling the sled. But I mean, it was freedom. Yes. And now it's become very constrained. and. Um, I'm not going to blame and complain, but I do think that if we don't transform, the next generation is going to see the world through a very different lens. And they're not going to want to do anything. Yes, no, I agree with you. And I saw recently within a month of in the Wall Street Journal that parents, when kids are at summer camp, which used to be a time away from parents. Yes. Freedom. Parents are now obsessively looking over kids photos so i guess camps are now posting photos of their kids at camps and parents are obsessively looking over the camp photos to make sure that the kids look happy (laughs) and and contacting the camps and parents are really invested in the photos and taking action and and the photos no reality they're just photos you're imposing on them meaning but that photo may be at a moment where they were you know, dealing with something or struggling with something or happily doing it. You have no idea what the meaning was at that moment, but you are certain that that photo says my son or daughter isn't happy. And has no friends. Right. And then intervening in a child's experience and parents are getting, I mean, there is so much wrong with that. So much wrong with that. So much wrong with that. We could do a whole podcast on what's wrong with that, that I think that there is a need to really intervene. And I don't blame parents. I think it's the culture that has been really, we have swung, the pendulum has swung in the other direction. You might almost team up with all those camp owners and say, I want to educate your parents before they start their kids at camp. Um, that's a whole audience who, I mean, when I went off to camp, my husband and I started at young ages and it was our free time. The last thing I ever wanted my parents to do was show up. 
right? Right. They didn't have to know anything about my sneaking out the back door of the bunk in the middle of the night to meet a guy down by the basketball. I was not what they were supposed to know, right? Exactly. Can you imagine? Why are they posting? Right. 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 And the camp directors have gotten caught into this because that that the world is all social. And so there's a reality there that's now, one last thought and then we will wrap us up because um, oh, I have so much fun. fun to want to shut us off. But but there's been a whole lot of discussion about the merger of of virtual and reality. And I have some friends who were teachers in elementary schools and the kids are coming in unable to separate out social real from virtual real. And they can't have conversations with other kids. They don't know how to socialize with them. I'll blame the pandemic on that. But also what we've done is replaced people with virtual. And now they think that they're they're almost the same and they like being the avatar on a virtual game on Fortnite rather than having a game with real kids. They don't even know how to play in the in the schoolyard. Your thoughts? Well, I mean, I think it, I can only speak to what it does when I see it, when it turns, if it turns into, when it turns into an anxiety disorder, it, we rely, I work so hard with people to use data from the, from real data. And when it is so easy for people to get lost in possibility. Yes. And the more that someone is living online, living virtually, it is they are living in the what if and living in possibilities and and living in this comparison mode. They are comparing and it is just so hard for them to 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 use their real sense data. And it, it makes it much harder to, to, you know, to, 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 to treat. Yep. You don't know where you're coming out to. Am I exactly this data, this real life experience or that one? Oh my goodness. Welcome to the world that we're moving into. We haven't even talked about AI. I I was just thinking that I was just (laughs) thinking that. Because uh, then I don't know who's real. Uh, this has been a truly a pleasure. I usually like to ask my speakers two or three things you want the listeners to remember and then where they can get your book. But first, what do, what should we let them remember the most, please? Well, I think it, you know things that are really helpful to remember and a feeling only lasts 90 seconds. That is so important from the moment it is released in the brain to when it is out the body. So People will always say, my feelings last hours and hours. That is because we are re-triggering the circuit by by our behavior. That is essential to remember. Another thing to remember is that just because we think it or feel it doesn't mean that it's true. That is a bit, say that 17,000 times. Just because we think it doesn't mean it's true. It's true. Right. It doesn't mean it's true. And we always want to go with behavior behavior that moves us toward what's important to us or what we need to be doing. This has been truly wonderful. Um, it has been. I've enjoyed it so much. I have enjoyed it as well. And and that's why I do podcasts because I get pleasure out of meeting new people and yes. sharing ideas in ways that are difficult otherwise. And for my listener, you know, it's, it is a time of change and change is painful. And we are trying to figure out as we merge coming out of the pandemic period, what is quote unquote normal or certain. And there is no normal and there is no certain. So now you need new skills. Correct. Skills that Johanna's been talking about is to begin to think about behavioral change. 
And because if you begin to do it differently, then you'll think it differently. And don't under, am I right? Did I hit? Yes. 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 Good. I'm yes. I'm right. Because I heard you and in a half hour, I've learned a lot about what I, oh. <laughs> I needed to know today, which was a perfect day for this. So I want to thank you. The name of the book and where they can get it, please. Name of the book. I have it right here. I'll show them so they know I have a visual. Just Do Nothing, A Paradoxical Guide to Getting Out of Your Way. They can get it anywhere they want. They get their favorite book, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, bookshop.org. Or go to my website, joannahardis.com. Which is a lovely website and you'll learn more about her. So thank you. And so for all of you who come and are my fans and you keep bringing me more fans, which I love, and more people to speak on the show. Thank you. Our new book, Women Mean Business, is available. Yesterday was our launch day, September 26th. And today is a wonderful day for you to buy it, just like Johanna, in any place that sells great books and enjoy it. It is uh, 500 plus wisdoms coming from 102 amazing women who are successful entrepreneurs and philanthropists in finance, um, in, in, in all kinds of ways, including in the C-suite and in senior positions in major firms. But they are leaders and thought leaders. And these women want to inspire you. One of the things we keep saying is as we rise, we lift others. And that's our hope. Because as you read it, you're going to say, oh, I can do that. Willie Ledbetter's quote was, oh, let's see, believe it, um, do it, and, and believe in yourself and it will happen. But she has some marvelous quotes. I think that everyone in the book is there to help us do better. So thank you for coming today. And Johanna, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here. It was so fun. Wonderful. Bye-bye now. Everybody have a great day. Bye.